And welcome into the Mostly Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Tuesday, January 18th, the Magic uh, dropped one last night to the Portland Trailblazers at Amway Center. They'll be up in Philadelphia on Wednesday, and then they kick off a five-game homestand. Magic 19 of the next 29 games at Amway Center, so the schedule evening out a little bit. Magic trying to get off that eight-win schneid, and they'll have a chance to do so coming up here at Amway Center, uh, five of the next six at home. My guest for the program today, Brian Kalbrowski. He is with USA Today for the win. Hoops Hype put out a uh, pretty good aggregate mock draft for the NBA uh, mock coming up here this summer. And uh, it's about that time to start talking draft. Brian, how you doing? Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you having me. You mentioned uh, the Magic lost the game yesterday. And it's like, well, it gets them closer to a top pick, so it's not the end of the world. So. I, think, I think that's kind of where Magic fans are settling right now. It's going to be an interesting sort of uh, month or so. Let's just start there. How much do you know about the Magic? I think the trade deadline coming up, I mean, the rumors are flying. Obviously, they're the worst team in the, in the league record-wise right now, and so it is uh, I think a lot of Magic fans are turning their attention to the top of the draft, but uh, what have you seen early on in the season from who the Magic do have on roster, and how busy do you think they'll be over the course of the next month? Yeah, I mean, obviously, twofold question. The first part is that uh, I think that the season was just about developing the young guys, and honestly, I think you could say this is a very successful season, um, You know, as the, while the record might not reflect that, uh, because they've gotten so much better productivity out of Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr., uh, than they ever could have expected. So, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., um, you know, being the guy they got in return for the Vucevic trade, honestly looks already like they kind of maybe won that trade. Um, I think that Wendell Carter Jr. as a young player, um, you know, who just got that new contract, uh, is feeling a lot more confident to shoot the ball. Uh, he's been really, really excellent in the pick and pop, which is something that uh, Vucevic did really well during his time in Orlando too. Uh, and then Franz, I mean, I think he's going to be a top three finisher. Uh, rookie of the year building, which is definitely not what the Magic fans in the front office would have expected going into the season. I think mostly they would have expected if they had a rookie uh, to be in the top five finalists for rookie of the year would have been Jalen Suggs. So uh, for Franz to be in that conversation uh, is excellent you know, at this point in the season. I think that he's uh, outplayed almost everyone's pre-draft expectations for him. Uh, personally, my comp for him that I was giving teams when I was high on him uh, was Mikhail Bridges, you know, in mm. Phoenix. And I felt that he could be a really good uh, three and D player um, who would be able to provide value without really needing the ball in his hands very much. And I thought that was uh, somebody that I would certainly pick in the top 10, top definitely in the lottery. Um, but the way he's playing recently, he's playing so much on ball that he's basically a jumbo sized point guard out there. Uh, he's so efficient in the pick and roll. He's so productive uh, with the ball in his hands that, uh, they might need to reconsider how they how they construct their roster because they have so many players on this team uh, who are uh, ball handlers. You know, Cole Anthony obviously being the the most important of that group. Um, but if Franz is another one of them, I mean, somebody's probably going to be the odd man out fairly soon. And uh, I don't think it's going to be Cole either because I think Cole's a candidate for most improved player this season. Uh, so I, I like what Orlando's doing. Uh, I think that. Uh, while, you know, we talked about the trade deadline coming up, you know, Mo Bamba is definitely the player I'm most curious about. I've got an article coming out probably in the next two minutes, actually, um, looking at all the restricted free agents who could potentially get traded, mm. uh, all the upcoming restricted free agents who can get traded this offseason. And uh, Mo Bamba is number number two on my list. And um, I, I don't think that I would trade Mo Bamba if I were Orlando. 
Uh, I think that he's, he's still young enough, you know, younger than some guys who were drafted uh, in this past draft class, you know, Davion Mitchell and Chris Duarte is younger than both of those guys. Uh, I think that, you know, with his frame and his, and his intelligence and his ability to uh, just kind of improve his game over the last couple of years, um, I think that he's, he's got a higher ceiling than anything they could get in return for him. So uh, I think it's just a matter of how much to be willing to pay him and how much he'd be willing to accept. But uh, Bamba is definitely a player I'd be keeping my eye on um, if I were, uh, you know, a Magic fan for a potential trade. Um, and then, you know, I don't think that, uh, that Gary Harris uh, or Terrence Ross have very much trade value right now. Um, but potentially uh, those are guys who uh, don't really fit the timeline of what Orlando is trying to do either. It's interesting you say that about Mo. Um, obviously, the contract situation is is going to propel him into trade talks no matter what. Wendell gets his extension before the season starts. Um, so, you know, the, I think there is some handwriting on the wall uh, in that regard. Use the word intelligence, which is something that when I came back, I worked for the Magic for five years uh, during the Stan Van Gundy era, went to work for the Pistons, uh, went to Cleveland for a year, and then came back to the Magic. And when I got here, it was Mo's second season and that was the first thing that struck me, Brian, about Mobamba is how smart he is. Just just talk, just, you know, doing media right. and just just dealing with him. He's very, very intelligent. And sometimes I think it works against him because I've always thought that the smarter players are the ones who, especially early in their careers, struggle with confidence. Um, and I think you saw that when his minutes were yo-yoing a little bit uh, with Steve Clifford. You could tell when he came out and missed his first two or three jumpers or got beat defensively. The body language changed a little bit. And when he came out and he knew that he was guaranteed minutes and he played well, then it just sort of, you know, escalated from there. I do wonder if there's an element of if Mo has a stable role, will he be able to build upon over the course of a season a couple of good performances? The problem is he hasn't been available. There's been injuries. Um, there has been, you know, uh, he did have veterans in front of him when Booch was here. Even when Ken Birch was here, um, he was struggling for playing time. So I think that's an interesting question. Can you see Mo developing into a, a, a much better player just given the opportunity in, in stable minutes? Yeah, I mean, I think that it really it was really interesting hearing you describe your impressions of what you saw from Mo. Uh, body language, you know, inconsistency, kind of getting in your head. Because uh, it reminded me so much of what the, the Warriors dealt with last year with James Wiseman. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously kind of similar body types and all of that. But I think that it was really hard for Wiseman to get a rhythm um, and to be able to be uh, a part of a contending team uh, like the Warriors who are vying for a spot in the playoffs. Uh, it was really hard for the Warriors to justify putting Wiseman out there on the floor. And I think that's something they're going to struggle with when he's healthy again. Um, and obviously this is talking about uh, the Warriors, not the Magic, but the tie in there is that the Magic don't have to worry about that. Right. You know, the Magic don't have to worry about contending for a playoff spot right now. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely give him as solid of a role as you can uh, if you're not going to trade him at the deadline, which is coming up. Um, so if, you, if you're not going to trade him, you know, give him those minutes, give him those opportunities and, and see what he does with it. Because it doesn't matter if he does well or if he doesn't. You know, now it'll, that'll really just determine how much money he makes as a restricted free agency contract. Sure. So, uh, I mean, honestly, from a personality perspective, uh, the player who he kind of reminds me most of is Jalen Brown, who I think also suffered from similar stuff at the beginning of his career. And, you know, typically I, I feel the best strategy uh, for drafting players is to, is to bet on guys that you that you believe in. Um, as people. And, and I think that that's something that some franchises value way more than others. You know, some like raw athleticism, um, some like uh, just, you know, full on home run swings who are, uh, you know, sky is the limit, but they're really raw now. 
um, some, some value, just people who really, really get it. And, you know, for, for me, like I remember um, when I interviewed uh, several of the players who were in the draft process for the last few years, um, you know, some of the guys who I felt really fit that were like Xavier Tillman uh, and Desmond Bain and Memphis keeps picking guys like that. Hmm. Um, and honestly, while I don't know, you know, if, if that's something that every team values, clearly it's working for Memphis, you know, they're getting guys who are just going to be good pros. And uh, Mo Bamba is somebody who I think fits that archetype really well. Um, and on top of that, he also has that sky is the limit type of body type where it's like, okay, the only player in the, in the world who's even physically similar to you is Rudy Gobert, who's a three-time <laughs> defensive player of the year. Um, so to have, to have that and the brain to back it up um, makes him, I think, better than whatever they'd get on the open market for him. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a long-time starter in the NBA per se, um, but in terms of, you know, what you can get back for him, I don't think you're going to get anything that can match what he could potentially bring. Yeah. It's, and it's the motor, you know, it's just been inconsistent for whichever reason. Um, it, it, it hasn't been there over the course of six weeks or a half a season. Um, you see the flashes, but it hasn't necessarily panned out just yet. I think you can, I think you can reasonably say that that is a goal of Jeff Weltman and John Hammond. Um, when you look at their draft history but even specifically here you're talking about jonathan isaac mo bamba chumo kiki cole anthony um and then franz and Jalen. i mean those are those are guys that come in i mean there is not a single character question about any of those guys um when you bring them in and so i think the the track record pretty much speaks for itself but then you mentioned you know when you go through and they just got their extension so i think it is reasonable news uh, reasonably newsy when you go through the trades and you mentioned the Vooch trade, I mean, that was an absolute homer. Not only do you get the pick that turns into Franz, do you get Wendell who immediately um, is impactful enough to offer him extension. You also have another first round pick coming back. And then the underrated part of all of that was you got off of Al Farouk Aminu's money last year. You bring back Otto Porter Jr. And now the magic, you know, you mentioned Terrence and Gary and Mo. Those are the names that are being floated. But they got a trade exception, a big one from the Evan Fournier deal. The magic have ammo. They have picks and they have space now to basically be able to do whatever you want. Now you can say, OK, great. The magic have free agent space. Um, you know, is, is, is that going to turn into anything? Um, it's not exactly Los Angeles or Miami, but I think at the very least, once Jeff and John made the decision that they were going to move on from the Vooch, Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier era, they expeditiously tore that thing down. And, you know, within a year, we're essentially able to shove, to clear the deck. And now you have, now you have options. Now you can glom on to deals over the course of the next month, take on bad money, add picks do all of the things that you need to do in order to uh, to really propel that rebuild. I think, you know, w- once that decision was made um, to, to be where we are less than a year later, I mean, I, I, I think they've done pretty well for themselves. Certainly they earned those extensions. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I think it's a successful season already because you're seeing these improvements from Wendell Carter jr. Um, and from Cole Anthony, and honestly, I think Mo Bamba is having some pretty good improvements too. Yeah, and you're and you're getting uh, Suggs some time to to really figure out the league, um, and and you're getting uh, what what you were now realizing to be um, a long time starting probably player caliber on Franz Wagner with the ceiling to be potentially even better than that. So um, I, I'm I'm actually fairly impressed with Orlando's uh, success, and I think that uh, success is a front office, not on the court. Um, 
And, and I think that uh, realistically, you know, when you add another high draft pick uh, to that roster, uh, it's going to be a, a roster that could be potentially um, a young one that will be competing over time rather than, you know, one that's going to be on Vucevic's timeline, um, which is, you know, a little bit different. So now it's going to be a young core of players. Uh, and that's something that I'm really curious to see uh, in terms of what they, what they value and what they're looking for um, and just, you know, which position they think they need the most help in because obviously they've got a ton of talent at the guard position uh, and they've got some pretty like starting caliber players in the front court too. So I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, where they're going to go with that. Does it feel like they're, does it feel like it's a bunch of good role players, maybe even all-star caliber players, if you're talking Franz, but then like a hole in the middle, like, does it feel like it needs a superstar wing or a guy who is sort of your, um, your, your centerpiece? Yeah. I mean, it probably does. You don't really have, um, you know, the, the player who I'm going to for sure bet on yet. Um, but I, I do think that, that both Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs have the potential to be that guy. Um, and while I don't think we saw it from Cole Anthony last year, you know, we are seeing more of it this year. Yeah. And while I don't think we're seeing it from Jalen Suggs this year, maybe we will see it next year. So I think it's too early to say if Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs are not that guy. And it's certainly too early to say they are that guy because neither of them have shown they are that, that ace yet. Um, but, I, but I do think that, you know, both of them in the backcourt are really intriguing um, and, and potentially long-term pieces um, to, and one and potentially, you know, aces and as like go-to scorers, um, especially, you know, I think, uh, you know, long-term, you know, we've seen subs um, be, be the kind of guy who can hit that game-winning shot, right? Like that's, that's a, like we saw that in college. That's something that really matters. Um, that's something that, you know, is like a big part of, of being a leader. And I think he is, he is a leader and he has somebody people turn to and he does have that kind of personality type. So um, I'm definitely, uh, definitely curious to see, you know, what the, what the future holds in terms of what else they bring into the fold though, because there is more, there is more, they're not done, but there's definitely more to be added. Uh, one more thing about the rebuild. Are you somebody who subscribes to, I've heard you use the word timeline and does it have to be, a group of young players all roughly around the same age, or do you think you need to sprinkle in some veterans and you can't have like, you know, the hinky Sixers where it's just a whole bunch of kids and nobody's showing them um, the ropes. But at the same time, I do think, you know, it, it wouldn't have made sense to keep Vooch, put it that way. Like, yes, yes, you can rebuild. And yes, it's you're going to shorten the learning curve for Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs or whoever, if they're running pick and roll with Nick Vucevic, as opposed to other young bigs. Um, or young players in general. But I also think like, you know, Vooch would have been 31, 32, 33 over the course of um, the first couple of years of your rebuild. Like, I'm not sure that helps necessarily. You got to strike that balance though. It can be tricky. You can't have all kids, but you can't have veterans who are like good enough where they're sitting there looking around saying, okay, you guys are wasting my prime. Yeah. I mean, again, look at the Warriors. They've got, uh, you know, some of the m most important, you know, veterans you could have. And not only Steph and Clay and Draymond, but also uh, Andre Iguodala. Like that, that sort of mentorship is going to go a long way um, if they're willing to listen in the development of players like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman um, and, you know, the fact, and Jordan Poole. Uh, they've got that nice blend, right? Um, right? And I think that that's, that's really important, you know, and that's something that the Lakers don't really have. Obviously, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is, is young, um, and, and that's like the only player on the team that they've really drafted. Obviously, you know, 
Malik Monk is still sort of young. Austin Reeves is still is still young, even though he's a rookie. He's he's actually you know played four years in college. So otherwise, you you need to have those young assets to go with the thirty six girls on the team too. So, um, but I think that I remember just covering Brooklyn out here a couple of years ago, uh, looking around the locker room and seeing guys like like Ed Davis and, and Jared Dudley, um, and and knowing how important that was to help getting guys like. D'Angelo Russell back on track mm. um, and, and can Karis Levert and to becoming, you know, a solid NBA player um, and, and Jared Allen, obviously as well, I think learned a lot from being in that locker room, um, you know, having guys like Garrett Temple and like I said, Ed Davis and, and Jared Dudley really, really do play a long role in the development of young players. So, you know, coaching is a huge part of it too. You need coaches who can develop players. It's not, it's not on veterans to do that, but you need the example on the floor too. Um, let's do one quick book Brooklyn question before we get into draft stuff. Um, Mark Stein has the report that James Harden is open to relocation this summer. I, that was, that caught me off guard. Yeah. I, I think that. I open think that to relocation you, that, I mean, right. I, I think we're all open to relocation, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that if you ask. And then like most NBA executives, right. Would have to say like, okay, listen, like, the only untouchable players in the league really are like, you know, Luca and Giannis, like, like everybody could be had at the, at the right option, at the right offer. Um, it's a little different for front offices um, and players because players can only get up to their max contract. Right. And James is getting a max no matter where he goes. Um, whereas, you know, front offices, maybe they can get a godfather offer from a team where they keep throwing in first round picks, keep throwing it's like to the point where it's like, I can't say no to this. Right. Yes. I do. I love Jalen Suggs. Yes. But like, if you just offered me three first round picks, like I guess, and you know, this young player is just as exciting. I'm like, fine. I'm going to have to say yes, even though he wasn't on the market to begin with. So um, I think that it, as teams have shown um, a willingness to move on from a player and, and not be loyal, I think players kind of have that same thing where it's like, I'm open to anything. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, like most people in, in general, it's like, I, I have this great setup right now. Uh, right. And I get to play with Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie Irving. But I also think that, you know, I, there's probably some stuff about what happened with the Kyrie Irving vaccine situation um, that maybe didn't put James in the best headspace where it's like, okay, well, how bought in are you really to this right. team? That, that made me that could make him at least consider leaving. Um, and I, and I don't think that that means that he's upset at Kyrie or doesn't want to play with him anymore, but it's like, listen, if you're not fully bought into the point where it's like, we all have to do this thing. Um, you know, what do I have to be fully bought in for? So, um, I, I don't know if Philly is, is necessarily, uh, the place he'd want to go, but I, I think that he'd be, I think that he'd be willing to at least consider it. Cause that's part of what free agency is, you know? Hear, hear the pitch, you know, hear what Maury has to say, hear what, hear what Embiid has to say. I mean, Embiid's a really unique guy to get to play with. And, yep. you know, granted, Harden also gets to play with KD in Brooklyn. So it's like, you know, pick your, pick your MVP, right? Um, and, and I think that uh, Harden can be an MVP candidate as well next season. You know, I don't think he's going to get it this year. But, you know, as long as Harden is healthy, he's somebody who could win the MVP award any year. Um, and I think that that's something that, uh, has earned him the right to at least be able to consider somewhere like Philadelphia or wherever else, um, because that's, you know, that's life. But 
I don't know if Philadelphia is more intriguing of a destination to me um, than, than Brooklyn would be uh, just because, you know, he's got a pretty good setup right now, you know, living in, you know, one of the, one of the biggest cities in the world and playing with some of the best players in the world for a world-class coach. Um, you know, I think that, that it's like a, a pretty, pretty nice thing he's got going on too. When I was in Detroit, I remember somebody asked Stan Van Gundy if anybody was untouchable on the Pistons. And he was like, if somebody calls me and offers me LeBron, then nobody's untouchable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no, I'm not going to lie to them. Um, uh, all right. Good stuff. All right. So tell me about the top of the draft this year. It feels like at the beginning of the season, it was all Chet and Paolo and everybody was sort of hot on the two of them. And then it's kind of fallen off. I realized Jabari Smith has slid up into that top spot as far as most prognosticators go the kid from Auburn um but I don't know it, it, maybe it's just the holidays or or new year or the, kind of that lull in college basketball before um conference schedules and tournaments heat up at the end of February but um I don't know it, it just feels like there's not a whole bunch of buzz right now so uh please enlighten us tell us about the top of the draft yeah I mean listen I I don't from the scouts that I talked to uh and the people that I've gotten to know who follow the draft closely I don't think that anybody thinks that this is a generational draft class. Um, you know, I think you hear that term thrown around all the time. And I think last year we started hearing it almost too much where it's like, this is like 2003 again. It's like, no, it's not, it's not like that. Like, to, like you can't, you can't guarantee three hall of famers coming four hall of famers, whatever. Um, I did think that this was a top. I do think that this last top five that we just had um, was pretty excellent. Uh, and I think that there's not, one player in that top five uh, that at the time I was willing to bet against, you know, I think that all five of those guys were guys that I would, I would want on my team and believe that they could all get rookie scale max extensions. Right. Um, and I don't know if there are five guys in this class who I could say that about. Yeah. I also think that there's a pretty big fall off after the top three. Um, and then there's another level of probably three other players who are pretty clear, solid, heavy tier two. And then after that, it's sort of a, a gamble for me at this point, hmm. guys start to prove themselves later uh, sure. during the season. Um, you know, guys also really prove themselves to me during the pre-draft process, during the interview process. Um, I uh, wouldn't have really thought that I was going to be obsessed with Josh Primo until I spoke to him. Right. And he was somebody who, while I had heard of and I knew he was a young kid with a lot of promise, once I interviewed him, I was not surprised at all when the Spurs reached for him at, at uh, I think it was 12, yeah. um, because he, he was 18 years old and he got it. He just, he got the it and he had, you know, he had the right body type and the right demeanor. And he was just somebody who was going to be a, an interesting piece at 22, right? And it's like, I get that. And so guys start to separate themselves during that conversation all the time. Um, and so there are guys who I haven't had a chance to speak with yet, um, who I know are going to fly up my draft board once I do talk to them. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, when I interviewed him, I was fearful afterwards. I was like, if I don't have him higher on my mock draft, he's going to use me as bulletin board material. I don't want that at all. Like he, <laughs> he was talking to me like a battle rapper. And I was like so much more convinced about what he could provide at the NBA level, because clearly he's not going to back down from anybody. And we saw that this year, now a second year in the league, already being unafraid to back down from LeBron James. So the whole caveat to what I'm saying is that, while obviously I say that there's a top three and then a top six. Um, there could be definitely somebody that 
just starts to really, really impress me both when the tournament play comes around and also, you know, during that pre-draft process. Uh, and once I start talking to NBA teams, they start telling me, this guy interviewed really well. You should call him, do an interview for your site, see if he talks to you too. Uh, that, that, that happens every year. Um, and I'm definitely excited to see who those guys are going to be. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious uh, to, to see who also, you know, stands out as that season goes on. But, you know, I think that the most interesting player for Orlando to know um, is definitely Chet Holmgren. Um, I think that realistically Orlando makes sense for a lot of reasons as a target for Chet. Um, but, you know, chief among them being that he, uh, you know, has, has a long time connection to Jalen Suggs, um, you know, same AAU team, same high school, um, you know, both in Minnesota and then both going to Gonzaga. Um, you know, there was even questions, maybe Suggs comes back for a sophomore year to play with Chet. Is that possible? Uh, and I think that, you know, obviously Suggs made the right decision to declare for the draft when he did, but it's like, maybe he wanted the national championship, uh, Suggs Holmgren, you know, pick and roll or whatever this would do on the offense um, would be really intriguing. And Chet is just as intriguing as a defensive player um, because his block percentage is among the highest in the nation, especially among, um, you know, underclassmen. Uh, but Chet's also shooting like 90% at the rim this season. Yeah. Um, and if there's one thing that we've learned from Orlando's front office, it's that they really, really value, you know, length. Um, and Chet has a ton of length. And obviously he's also somebody who's proven that he plays a lot better with the ball uh, than most players as tall as he is. Um, and, you know, not, not to compare him to Giannis, you know, somebody that uh, is, is, you know, a once in a lifetime kind of a player, but it's like that, that skinny frame is something that Giannis came in with as well. So if we learn that Chet is somebody who's willing to put in the work uh, to get bigger and to put on that muscle, it's not the end of the world to be skinny. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, Orlando's front office when they were in Milwaukee, you know, do it before and pick a skinny guy and watch the way he adds muscle to his frame over years. So I don't think that, you know, anybody is, was fair to compare to Giannis, but it is possible to be, get bigger once they're skinny. Um, and I think that Chet has already shown so much at his age. Um, he's already been one of the most unique players on the planet, uh, FIBA U19, AAU circuit, high school, wherever he's played. Um, and I think that it'd be really interesting to see what he could do at the NBA level uh, with someone like Jalen Suggs, who, he's going to come in with already so much chemistry with. How much do you get the sense that front offices are sort of struggling with Chet? Um, the frame, you know, it's, it, he doesn't look like a, a whole lot of other NBA players. Right. And no. so on the surface, it's like, it's like, what do I do with this guy when you watch him? And certainly the numbers um, I think stack up, but it is, but it is a little bit different because he's not going to be a perimeter player. He's going to be a big. And so you're talking about setting screens at the next level. You're talking about boxing out at the next level. Um, and you're talking about moving your feet laterally in terms of pick and roll defense. And I would imagine there are some questions there, but then, you know, the flip side is this dude has instincts and hands and, um, and obviously the size and the length to be an absolutely devastating defensive player and potentially be a really, really good offensive player as well. It's just kind of, it's kind of confounding. I mean, I would think you get, you probably get opinions all over the board. It's really interesting. Right. And I think that, you know, I mentioned that he's shooting uh, 90% at the rim, which is insane, but he's also 99th percentile in transition shooting mm. 22 for 25 in transition. So he's somebody who can be a grab and go guy, get the board sprinted down the court. Right. Um, he's also, 
uh, 16 for 19 when cutting to the basket, which is super, super crazy. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, just not missing when he's on basket cuts. Uh, you know, putbacks, 15 for 16, right? Like, he, he's just – he's somebody who, when the ball gets to him and when the ball um, is uh, a part of the offense that, you know, gets to Chet, like, he uses it well. Um, I, I think there's a lot of room he needs to improve in uh, in the pick and roll. Um, as a as a role man, I think that that's definitely something he struggled with so far. Um, you know, he's definitely not somebody who's you know locking you down uh, in isolation as a, as a defender, and he's definitely not somebody who's really guarding um, the uh, the um, the the perimeter particularly well either. But uh, I do think that he is somebody who at least offers um, a, a incredibly unique skill set. And when you have somebody like Franz Wagner, right, who's already a super tall ball handler. Um, and you have someone like Mo Bamba, who's got, you know, eight feet of wings, right? When you add Chet on that court, too, it's like, well, there's something really, really different here, right? There's something that's different uh, that other teams going to provide. Um, and I would just be really curious for him in particular um, how that would look, right? Because, you know, Franz is already so tall um, and, and Mo is so long and Chet is so long um, that I, I think it would just be a really interesting pairing. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not sold that obviously Chet is somebody who, uh, would be the right pick for Orlando, but he's the one that would come to mind first, uh, as to be the most intriguing for Orlando, um, because of just that connection to Suggs and just that connection to, uh, to, to length and, and height that Orlando's front office tends to love and tends to fall in love with. So he's just the first name that comes to mind, but it's not necessarily the one that I would, I, that I would pull the trigger on. Especially if I had the one pick, I don't know if it's what I would do. And Orlando very well could have the one pick. There's no way Chet slips out of the top three, right? Uh, I would be really, really surprised unless something was flagged medically concerned. Yeah. Um, which is possible. I mean, people people get medical red flags sometimes. Um, you know, and it's also maybe he maybe he makes it to the tournament um, and really, really struggles, you know, against a uh, top, top competition, right? Um, maybe like he goes against like a Kobe Coburn from Illinois and it's just like an NBA sized big, just is able to completely shut him down. Um, see, I, I can't see don't... that though. Gonzaga's too, they're, they're too good. I mean, they, between Timmy and few, like there's, I, I, yeah. they'll be able to hide him no matter what. I think what it would, what I think the most interesting thing that it would, that I could see happening would be, you know, because of Gonzaga being really good, they keep making it farther and farther and farther. And there's just more of a sample size that Chet struggles. I can in. see that. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're winning playing, in spite of him. They're, they're playing five games, and Chet is not playing well in all five of them. Right. Um, and it's like, okay, this is not just a small sample size of going against a beefy big man, right? It's like also like going against, you know, more of a three and D big man or going against more of a, you know, a pick and pop. It. Like, there, whatever it might be, like that would be something where it's like maybe and then medical concerns, right? But Chet, another guy who is like when I ask around the league, like who are like the highest character, like dudes, right? Like I remember asking last year, everybody's like Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes, like we love Scotty, like he's the coolest guy. Like this year, they're kind of saying a similar thing about Chet. Like everybody really loves Chet, so it's like it's not like he's gonna go in and have like a like a bull bull caliber um, like uh, fall on draft night because right. of those sort of concerns that were, you know, there were medical concerns about bull bull, and there were also questions about. There were just there were rumors around the draft circle about like how he was interviewing with teams. That's not going to happen with Chet. So um, I, I think his floor right now would be the third pick, um, unless 
and it would be probably one of these three players, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Mathurin, or Johnny Davis just goes on like a Steph Curry caliber um, run of the tournament um, where they're just putting up insane numbers and go on to honestly maybe even win the tournament. Um, all three of those guys are sophomores. Um, all three of those guys are, are just elite scoring guards. Um, and, and I think that that would be the most uh, – the, the, those would be the guys who, based on their tape so far, are the most likely to do it. Um, I think Purdue's Jaden Ivey could definitely win the national championship. Um, and I think that he's definitely somebody who would be uh, potentially able to catapult himself into the top three um, by doing such because he was also integral to FIBA U19 winning uh, goals for USA. Um, and he is also just somebody who uh, has, you know, John Morant comparisons already um, in terms of just his athleticism and his ability in transition. Um, but but I, I think that, you know, Paolo, Chet, and, and Jabari are, are the three who I would pretty much bet at everything on at this point, um, if, I, if I had to, that it would be those three. And I don't know which order it would be right now at all. Um, but, you know, Johnny Davis has had a remarkable season, too, for Wisconsin. Um, and I think that he, he outplayed Jaden Ivey already, too. Um, and he's really shown that he, he sort of had like a, a Donovan Mitchell, you know, it's like ascent into, into the lottery and could potentially keep rising. You know, I've, I've seen him as high as number four. Hmm. So I think that, yeah, Johnny Davis is somebody worth at least talking about in that same conversation. Will you tell me about Mathurin? I am fascinated with him. Yeah, so I did a feature on Benedict last year. Um, for for the win, uh, talking to some of his old coaches and talking to him and, and getting to know his story. Uh, he is a product of the NBA Global Academy, uh, which also helped produce, um, you know, Josh Giddy and is going to start producing uh, many NBA players over the next few years. But, you know, the Global Academy is essentially, you know, like the, the academy system that we see in Europe for soccer, um, where it's like, you know, you're going to school, but really you're here to do basketball and that's starting in high school. I love that. Um, and sometimes younger. And I think it's a really great way to target you know, young players like Ben and he uh, is Canadian and he's somebody who um, is uh, he's from Montreal, I believe. And he's um, he's somebody who just has a really, really interesting blend of athleticism and shooting. And um, I think he's got the right NBA frame to be a prototypical wing uh, and perimeter defender in the NBA. Um, he, he's somebody who's been really, really explosive as a scorer, uh, both for Team Canada and also at Arizona. Um, and, you know, Arizona has got one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the nation this year, um, you know, in Tommy Lloyd's first year as head coach. And uh, I think Ben has been pretty integral to that, at least on the perimeter side. Uh, Christian Coloco has kind of been their, their, uh, their post defender. But, um, you know, Arizona has been a pleasant surprise, you know, especially uh, in the post Sean Miller era. And I think that Ben is a huge reason uh, why, because he's the focal point of their offense. And, um I personally think that he's he's most likely to be a spot up kind of a guy, at least at first in the NBA. Um, I think that he's, you know, more likely than not. Um, my overall projection of him is that of like a, a solid athletic, like, you know, three and D winged player who can who can start for a lot of NBA teams. And I think that, you know, a startup player who I'd be willing to bet on as a starter or somebody who's going to get buzz in the first round and not only in the first round, but also in the first five, six picks in this particular class. Um, so I, I like Mathurin. Um, I'm glad I got to know him. I was glad to get to know his story a little bit. Um, I was really, really surprised when he did not declare for the draft last season. Yeah. I thought he had a much better season than Josh Primo did. Um, and so, you know, if Primo was able to go that high, like I wonder where Mathurin could have gone. Um, I 
think that, I mean, I had a first round grade on him last year. Um, now I've got a top five grade on him, um, top 10 grade on him, honestly. So we'll see. Um, but, but I do think that he's, he's somebody who has uh, really, really helped himself by coming back to school, actually, um, because he's played even better this year than he did last year. Yeah, he's um he's an intriguing prospect, and like you said, if you if you tell me that you're going to be able to defend the perimeter right away, then everything else, you know, I'll I'll build and I'll work with everything else. <clears throat> if I'm comfortable right off the rip that you're going to be able to defend pick and roll uh, and stay in front of guys at that next level, then I think you're um you're already starting off a little bit ahead of the um ahead of the curve. Last thing, you know, I, I think everybody's fairly familiar with Bancaro, or at least they have been from the beginning of the season. You have to be hiding under a rock not to see Duke. Um, but Jabari, you know, look, he's, I, I, I think people like you and I are well aware of Jabari, but I'm not sure the average fan has, has gotten a chance to see him very much. You had the Alabama game that I think a lot of people keyed in on, but, um, introduce me to Jabari Smith. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that really was, was one of the things that sold me the most about Jabari, uh, when I was doing my, so you mentioned my aggregate mock draft. I also do my own mock draft, uh, as well. And I, I had Jabari at number one. Um, and one of the things that really drew me to Jabari at first, um, not at first, but kind of as a one pick, um, was this stat right here. And this was a few days ago, so might not be accurate to the T anymore, but it's still generally right there, which is that he has uh, a defensive rebound percentage above 15% and a block percentage and steal percentage both above 3% on defense. And then he's shooting better than 73% at the rim and attempting more than three three-pointers per 100 possessions. So it's like defense, shooting at the rim, and perimeter shooting. Yeah. The only other player to accomplish all of that in, in, their, in the college career is Zion Williamson. Wow. So it's literally just him and Zion in terms of guys who are able to defend at that level and rebound that level, shoot at the rim, and, sh- and just take. And I didn't even say make threes, just take them. Um, pretty elite pick-and-pop player already. Um, he, he's streamed, you know, over 40% on three-pointers, uh, even though most of them are not from the corner. They're mostly above the arc three-pointer. So right. it's not like he's like, it's not like it's like, yo, Jabari, go in the corner. We'll get the ball to you over there. It's like he's at the top of the key, and he is, you know, taking ball, taking shots, you know, uh, sometimes even off the dribble he's creating for himself, and he's six foot ten, um, and he's younger than Chet, younger than Paolo. Um, I think that he's somebody who uh, could potentially be a number one option. Um, he's so fluid uh, for his size. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, just being able to be that fluid and that strong without having the skinny frame that Chet has, right? It's not like he's overly, overly wiry to the point where it's like, what is, what do we make of this? It's like, no, he, he, like, he, he does have that good muscle definition. Um, he does, he's not, he's not like Paolo, who's like incredibly built and incredibly strong and incredibly like NBA caliber, like, you know, frame day one, walking into the, uh, walking into the gym. Um, but he is somebody who at least is, uh, who is, you know, got a lot more of that, you know, physical strength and size that, that maybe people are concerned about chat. Let me ask you, do you think based on talking to people, sometimes that works against, it's, I, I could see that working against Van Caro, people saying he's a finished product physically. And it seems dumb to say that, but I, I know that this is how sometimes people's brains work. Um, if you're a finished product, you're almost like the, the guy who peaked at freshman year of football, right? And then all of a sudden everybody catches up and you haven't developed anymore physically. Whereas with Jabari, you can sort of project physically what it's going to look like. You use the word fluid. That's exactly what comes to mind for me. I can see Jabari adding 
um, adding muscle and adding strength without losing anything else. And sometimes with a guy like Paulo, fair or not, I think people project three, four years down the line, it's going to be the same body. So where is, uh, where is the, where is the projection? What does he look like physically at 22, 23? Yeah, I think that's not necessarily unfair. And I also think that it's like, well, how much of his success in college and high school and AAU for Paolo is because he's so much bigger. Exactly. Right? Yep. Um, so, so I do think that that's like a, a, a fair question. Um, I mean, I think that there's always ways to improve your game though. So it's like, sure. while, while your body is like, obviously a, a one element of it, it's, it's a big part of the bigger question as well. So um, I think that while obviously it's something that, uh, is a question that might separate the differences between Jabari and Paolo. And maybe one of the reasons why I put Jabari above Paolo. Um, I think what I have right now for Jabari above Paolo is productivity. Uh, I actually think he's been even more productive than Paolo has been. Um, and, and I think that uh, obviously part of that has to do with the teams you're playing on, you know, his role at Auburn is probably a little bit bigger than Paolo's role at Duke. But um, you know, I think that, I think that uh, Paolo could have almost a Julius Randall like role, you know, at the next level where it's like, you know, he's, he's passing too, and he's creating plays and he's, he's able to really make the teammates around him better. And I think that that's uh, a distinct possibility for someone like Paolo. Um, and he's got a fluidity to his game too. I mean, he looks pretty, uh, pretty comfortable playing on ball, but uh, Jabari, Jabari has been um, to me like outstanding on both ends of the floor. Um, and just somebody who I think uh, I, I right now would probably have to project as a number one option. I mean, um, even if he's not, uh, even if he's not, I think that him in the pick and pop um, is something that is, is fascinating. Granted, Orlando sort of already has that in Wendell Carter Jr. Um, somebody to run the pick and pop, you know, for and are based around. So um, that's something that I do think is, is at least worth noting is like, you know, the difference between, you know, him and uh, somebody else, right, is that, uh, you know, he might already be a similar skill set, something they already have. Um just but, just get good players. You got eight wins. Just get good players, right? I think that's right. I think that's obviously definitely correct. I think that, you know, it's not like it's uh, I mean, even the Warriors do that. You know, they're the the Warriors will never draft on 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 need or fit. You know, they'll 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 gladly replace anybody if the good player is better, you know, and that's how you end up with Steph Curry instead of Monte Ellis. Um, right. you know, so I think that we've seen time and time again that it's it's better to do that, even if you are a good team. So um, I, I think that I think that Jabari is a good player. So I think that he's somebody who I'd be willing to I'd be willing to you know use a top pick on um, and more than more than willing but excited to. Uh, the question is how do I compare him to some of the top picks from last year? Um, you know, it's like do I do I think that he's better than how many of the guys in last year's top five? I'm not entirely sure at this point, um, but I think we'll see more and more as we hear more about the pre-draft process, more about how he does in the tournament and you know that sort of stuff. Monte Ellis might be the worst interview I've ever done. <laughs> was, oh, is that right? He was so disinterested in speaking to me. This is a decade ago, obviously. Uh, I would have been disinterested in speaking to me as well. But uh, he, <laughs> was, he was, it was, it was Don Nelson. It was the Warriors. They were uh, practicing at the old rec center in downtown Orlando. Uh, and nobody on that team wanted anything to do with the assembled local media. <laughs> <laughs> so i get go. it media <laughs> obligations are media obligations are not always what they want never fun never fun um hey this has been great i really appreciate the time um let's do it again as we get uh, into march if you're interested 
Yeah, that'd be great. I'd appreciate that. Definitely. He's Ryan Kalbrowski uh, on Twitter. Make sure you read all his stuff uh, at Hoops Hype, at USA Today for the win. On Twitter, at Brian Kalbrowski, B-R-Y-A-N-K-A-L-B-R-O-S-K-Y. And you can call him Broski if you want to. He told me it was okay. Uh, Brian, thanks so much, man. We'll talk soon, okay? I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. All right. There he is, Brian Kalbrowski. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Back next week with another edition. Until then, stay safe, everybody. (laughs) 